Knock, knock. Who's there? No, you haven't reached a comedy podcast. You're in the right place. Welcome to another episode of What If. What if I told you what sounds like the entrance to a joke is really about a very serious matter concerning your soul? That the knock, knock each of us will hear in our lifetime is death knocking at our door. All who are alive today, all who are listening to this podcast, even I, as I'm speaking, will all experience physical death. For God's word states in Hebrews 9:27, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Oh yes, my dear friends, let's get serious. It's countdown time. But here's the seriousness of this podcast. Who will be on the other side of your door to eternity? There is a knock, and there is one who will answer. My question to you is, who waits for you on the other side of eternity? Now, before you confidently answer, take a second and pull your chest back in. It's when we become so comfortable in our skin and in our sin and so judgmental of those who seem to be so lost, we walk on thin ice, as they say. Yes, there is a grim answer for those who skate through this life on the slippery slope of sin and think it's smooth sailing into the kingdom. Unfortunately, many are on that slippery slope and have no idea the slide into eternity isn't the outcome they will expect. Regrettably, that pathway has been established for so long without immediate ramifications, many will think they've slid in on their good behavior, their good deeds, or even their good looks, while all the time carrying hatred, anger, and bitterness of their soul with them as their constant companions. But what a rude awakening many will get. But before we pass judgment on those who appear to be heading southward if they make no lasting eternal change of heart, let's see what the Word of God has to say about entering the other side of our reality for all of us. Let's look at Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. Verse 21 says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Take, take note here. He's not talking about the unsaved. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me ye that work iniquity. Listen, it will not be enough to know him as your master and savior only in word and tongue or even by your good deeds alone. A mere verbal claim that you follow Jesus does not save your soul. Listen, believing in Jesus is not enough. The demons believe and tremble. James 2.19 says this, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The demons, who are the fallen angels, know God exists, yet they are fallen because they believed not in God, but in themselves. They were deceived in believing they could exist in greater power without him. Jesus, in verse 21, 
is making reference to a heart conversion as the means of entrance into the kingdom. A person who has truly repented of their sins and has become a new creation. One who, because of spiritual conversion, has aligned themselves in obedience to God's word. It's not what clamors in your head, but what beats within your heart that signals relationship. Just because you know him may actually be said that you only know about him. So, what if you assess your relationship with Jesus to determine where you are in this spiritual romance with him? Rest assured, it's not a public demonstration of spiritual insight or power that saves. The oohs and the ahs of your admirers hold no keys to the entrance of heaven. Look at verse 22. A person can seem like a Christian in the eyes of other people, yet still be an evildoer in God's sight and ultimately be sent away from his presence. They believe their good deeds, their outward manifestations of power, all trumps God's word. They're too good to humble themselves before God. They may be morally good, but spiritually rotten, for their goal and motivation is solely to look good in the eyes of others. For too many, following Jesus gains them a following. The gospel may be used to produce a harvest of financial gain using God's kingdom as the drawing power, and they create increase by false means to promote and elevate their own fleshly kingdom. It really is a scenario of, I know Jesus, so let me show you what he can do for you. So let's take a moment and reflect. You may know of God, but the question above all questions is this, does he know you? Only those who do the Father's will, those who are known of God and walk in his power and authority will enter heaven. That is, they must abide by the holy, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Then, and only then, shall they be acknowledged as loyal subjects and devoted disciples of Christ's kingdom here on earth. Undoubtedly, they shall be admitted to reign with him hereafter. My friends, let's flip the script here. We spend so much time trying to know Jesus that we fail to understand he must know you. Mark this thought in your heart. Jesus never breaks off relationship. In the 23rd verse, it is quite evident relationship had never been established. There is absolutely no evidence of intimacy with our Lord and Savior because he says, I never knew you. So how is it many have power and appear to be chosen representatives of Christ? The difference is in the words power and authority. Simply put, saying yes to Jesus gives you power, but intimacy with him gives you authority. Power is knowledge, but intimacy is a process involving sanctification. It means giving your heart completely and totally to him 24-7. Oh, we're not talking a weekend romance. We're talking and I'm into him and he's into me. Power in general can be summed up by the word ability. It is the Greek word dunamis. It could be the ability to create, to heal, to work, to move, 
power is being able to do. We can talk about power in the spiritual, physical, or mental realm. It takes physical power or strength to walk or run. It takes spiritual power to result in healing in somebody's body who is sick. However, authority works differently than power in the spiritual realm. While power is ability in general, authority can be summed up by the word control or rule. It is the delegated right and liberty to use power. In our case, we're talking spiritual authority obtained for us by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let's look where our power really comes from. It begins with the conquering of Satan. It took power for Jesus to defeat Satan and disarm him. There was a clash of supernatural powers and Satan was restrained. However, it takes authority to rule over Satan and his demons today. We have no power to defeat Satan. Jesus obtained that power already. So when you cast out a demon, you're not using power, you're exercising authority. When you prophesy, you're not using your own mental powers, you're given authority to speak. When you do works of the supernatural, it's not in your own power, you're merely exercising authority. Exercising authority means you have been given the right to rule in the supernatural realm because of the authority of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, what happens when we lack authority while exercising power? It can be found in Acts 19, verses 13 to 16, in which some men were trying to use the authority of Jesus for which they were not delegated. Verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Verse 14. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. Verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on him and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. On the other hand, we do see proper use of delegated authority by Peter and John when they healed a paralytic in Acts 3 verses 6 to 8. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give. I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Verse 8. And he, leaping up and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Not only did they have authority, they were also under authority. We too, as believers, are under authority. Nothing can be done without the power and the name of Jesus Christ. Is all that authority relegated to all to us at all at one time? I do not believe so. Let's look at this verse in Galatians 4, verses 1 to 2. Verse 1, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, 
differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Verse 2. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. There is some growth needed here. Maturation in Christ increases our realm of authority. Let me give you an example in the natural so you can see it in the spiritual. I have three beautiful, vivacious granddaughters, each blessed with such unique personalities. I love when they come to visit. When they come, they do not knock on the door or ring the doorbell, except to hear the sound, but they walk right on in. Why? They are related to us and have established a deep personal intimacy with us because of that relationship. They know us and they know us well. They're not strangers. But here's the analogy of kingdom matters I don't think we always see. What if we operate in the natural realm based on levels of spiritual maturation? For example, in the natural realm, all that my husband and I have belong to our offspring relationship, right? But although my kids and grandkids will have all authority over all our natural possessions, levels of maturity will determine levels of authority. My grandchildren have authority to go into any room in my house, but they don't always have permission. Why? Because of age. Some rooms have safety issues. My two-year-old isn't permitted into the bathroom alone. She can't recognize the dangers lurking in such a place because of her age. Toilet paper is a merry-go-round in the waiting, and the soap dispenser is bubble heaven. Likewise, my seven-year-old is permitted in my bedroom with supervision. Otherwise, she will come out with lipstick from ear to ear and jewelry from the ground to the head of her tops with mascara if possible. Now, she's looking beautiful, mind you, but without supervision, she would go crazy. So, what if parts of the kingdom are childproof because we aren't mature enough to handle the truth within? We would only hurt ourselves trying to walk in areas where spiritual maturation is required. It isn't you don't have authority. It may be you don't have maturation. And oh, how the enemy would like to keep us confused in the area of our authority. This is why it's important for us to disciple those growing in Christ and not leave them to their own interpretation of what power and authority look like. Do we all have power? Yes. Jesus secured that for us long ago. Do we all have authority? Only in a true intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Without understanding of power and authority, we may preach and minister with power, but without true spiritual authority to affect change. God may choose a display of his power to any human being he chooses. But having God's power does not mean you have God's authority. God has used many an evil king to do his kingdom business. When we operate in the spiritual realm without the authority of God, kingdoms of darkness don't tremble, demons don't flee, and evil sits comfortable in a pew fanning itself to sleep. Why? Many are preaching power without authority. The result? Packed houses produced by the absence of authority. So now sin feels comfortable in the house of God. 
There are many Christians today living and acting the same way as they did the day they said they were saved. Nothing has changed except maybe the amount of church attendance. But here is the reality of power without authority. Demons don't fear power. They have it too. What they fear is authority. And their greatest fear is when you get in right relationship with God and you know you have authority. Church is not under the authority of Jesus Christ through relationship, only produce believers void of the abundant life promised in John 10.10. And we wonder why evil waxes worse and worse. So let's park it right here. In the spiritual realm, knock-knock is not a joke. In the dominion of eternity, it is a far more serious matter of who is greeting you on the other side. Please, take spiritual evaluation of who you really are in Christ. Your good deeds, your sweet smile, your energetic, bubbly self may still land you out of the kingdom of heaven. Don't judge yourself by other standards. You may indeed be kinder, nicer, more generous than the person next to you. But know this. They won't be next to you on Judgment Day. Check your spiritual heart. Make sure you love like Jesus, walk like Jesus, and obey the commandments of our Father in heaven. Remember, heaven does not operate on the world's standards. So, seek him with all your heart and soul. You won't regret it. To those of you who are in right relationship with God, I don't just mean reading the Bible, paying your tithe, attending and being busy in the church and doing good deeds, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking to those who have died to themselves and have come up again a new creation in Christ Jesus. Allow me to leave you with a glorious ray of hope. You are indeed a disciple of Christ. And rest assured, there is no knock for you. Because you have chosen to walk this existence with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior now, and he knows you, when eternity comes for you, because of relationship, you enter in freely. After all, absent in the body is present with the Lord. What a glorious day that will be for those who love the Lord. So let me leave you with my favorite verse for encouragement. Galatians 2 and 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, God bless you. Joy and peace for the journey.